Welcome back to another episode of the Mainstream Podcast. This is episode number 15. I'm your host, Jeff Bradford. And I'm Chris Brandt. And what are we talking about today? You think you want to get into some smart home stuff? Discuss what we have and what we're using and how we're trying to get our houses a little less dumb? A little less dumb. That's probably a good way to put it. <laughs> I mean, right now, a lot of people stuck in the house, so it's probably a good time to look at things that can help you, you know, pass time and make life a little bit easier and, and some recommendations from us from some of the stuff we already use now and some things we might want to get into at some point so we're, we're, we're going to try to drive through walk through slowly some of these uh smart homes for dummies yeah i do think you make a good point that it is a great time to start adding smart home stuff to your house if you're under lockdown you got nothing else to do you want to add some convenience to your life make your uh lockdown quarantine a little bit easier and more uh, more doable a little more fun to do setting this stuff up making your house work for you that sounds like a commercial for a mortgage company <laughs> <laughs> but but, it's but cool. uh, i appreciate it there you go it's a, it's a commercial for people to try to be less bored at the house yeah <laughs> <laughs> i'll take it i mean like smart i mean smart home stuff has been around for eh, what about five six years like to a point where Everybody knows what it is. Not, not. I mean, I think it's been out longer than that, but it's now to a point where most people know when you talk about smart home items, you, you're talking about certain things, right? Yeah, I can't. I can't remember when Alexa and the Google Mini started coming out five or six years ago, maybe where it's really the time of the smart home where anybody could set it up and it makes it a lot easier. Right now, this stuff's been around for. 20, 25 years, but it was all customized for like rich people homes, being able to control their shutters and blinds, turn the lights yeah, off. Yeah, your favorite people. Your favorite people. We yeah, know you they, hate, you hate those poor people. We know. Yeah, I, I wish I was rich trying to get there one day, but I couldn't do the smart home back 20 years ago when it cost like $10,000 to, to set up your house like that, but now it's super affordable and a lot, a lot easier for anybody to do it on their own. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think we both have pretty much, done. I mean, it, it, it kind of started out with buying something that wasn't originally necessarily supposed to be in a smart home feature type item. It was just more like a assistant and that was Google home mini. And it, yes, it was originally kind of pitched as a smart home thing, but it was more so an item that was supposed to pitch you, you being able to talk to a device or your phone to record things for you, i.e. messages or, you know, tell it to do things for from your, you know, couch, you know, things that make us even lazier, basically. So it, it kind of started with that for most, most people, the general public. I mean, before that, like you said, there were, there were people who had the money to make stuff a lot more automated, you know, probably 10 years going back, if not even longer than that. Yeah. The Google mini and the Alexa, the dot and the full size Alexa echoes started coming out maybe a few months uh, apart. Oops. My, my echo is starting to talk right now. I shouldn't have done that. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that but is part of the biggest that, problem with, with, with those things. If somebody says, and it's like, Hey, what's up, bro? Yeah. If you, if you speak her name, she, she starts talking to you. Unfortunately, exactly. you don't, even when you don't want to do it, you're just trying to talk about her. She starts, she starts listening on you. But I was saying they came out around the same time, maybe a few months apart. And, you mentioned they, they were only for adding stuff to your calendar, your shopping list, asking what the weather was. And it wasn't fully tied into all of this extra tech and hubs and smart lights and plugs where you could control everything. It was much more basic, like play some music, Google, do something like that. And it was, it was pretty simple. And it's kind of grown on those same devices over the years into something that you can control your whole house with your voice, which is pretty impressive. Yeah, definitely. Um, I remember when I got my, my, the mini, the first time around, I was like, okay, this is going to be something that I may or may not use, but it was a craze. They were, I mean, they were pitching it like it was a next best thing, your next best friend. You can talk to it, you can hang out with it, be your best friend ever. And I remember getting it originally, like, okay. I probably will use this. I don't know for sure. But I mean, really, I really got into it even before that because like automation. So you got to talk about it separately. Like smart home is kind of separated into a couple of different clusters. There's what we know now to be smart home using, you know, 
her and using Google <laughs> to, um, you know, control things. I mean, even as far as, you know, Apple using another her that we want to say to keep from triggering everything. Um, and, but there's another subset of some, some things that came before that was, I mean, automation as a whole has been around for such a long period of time. I mean, there were hubs before the speaking hubs that controlled things. I mean, it, it, whether it was one push of a button or something that was like a timer type thing. I mean, you, you think about it. A smart home probably started back when you had timed uh, sprinklers. I mean, that's technically <laughs> smart home. I mean, it really truthfully is. You didn't have to go, you know, water your own garden, water your own grass now. So that's basically where it started. You could, you could, you could tie it back into that for sure because something on scheduling, hands-free, this does it on its own. That's what it's all about. Yeah, time lights, time time sprinklers, things like that. I mean, all all those things technically started the revolution of what smart home is. But you fast forward a little bit, there were, I kind of actually think I started more so. So there's a little story, story time with Jeff here. Hold please. So I, on a previous episode, I talked about being into the modding community at one point. So I remember actually the Xbox one of the mods we used to do on it had the ability to control different things beside for the box itself. And it was one of those things where if you plugged in your DVD player to it or something along those lines, you could run it or use the remote because IR, you know, IR sensors control it not as much now, but it controlled a lot of different uh, appliances at one point so you can cross-reference the Xbox with it to make it into a kind of a smart hub. So that's kind of where it started with me, but the Mini is much easier, I can tell you that much. Yeah, it, it brings a lot of the process uh, to be a real real simplified thing to do. But that just reminded me of years ago, talking about the early start of any kind of smart stuff or automation. Did you use Tasker before on your phone? Yes, I, stuff I had now Tasker is probably one that most, um, you know, nerd heads will say is the best thing ever. And truthfully enough, yes, it's one of those, it's, it is an app that controls so many things. The problem is you have to be damn near a scientist <laughs> to understand the coding behind it. It's and very complex. It's super, I mean, you can do so much with Tasker. And, and this is how you can tell Tasker kind of started it for everybody from that point because you have Siri shortcuts, right? It is literally the dumbed down version of Tasker. You basically go in and you move around some things and you say, okay, this is what I want it to do. And it basically shows you in bright, pretty colors and what can align with what. But take away those bright, pretty colors and look at strings of data. And that's what Tasker was. <laughs> yeah, I remember it being very difficult to set up. So I would search out. Uh, programs or little scripts that people had already made and try to modify small parts of them. But all I was using it for at the time was trying to make my smartphone a little bit smarter. Not even the home yet. I wasn't at that point. It was about uh, looking at my GPS for when I got home to turn on my Wi-Fi or change my brightness settings, do certain things when I got to work, change different notification settings on my phone. So I was trying to just automate stuff by a geolocation or time of day and take out some of the, like, uh, having to open up my phone when I got home and change all my settings, turn my Wi-Fi on, do stuff like that. So I let it run different scripts like that. I wasn't even yet. And by the time I got into doing home control stuff, that's when the, uh, you know, the Amazon Echo came out in the Google Mini, so you could do more at the house with all the different devices. But it was, I remember it being so difficult to use. If you weren't a programming genius, man, you'd have to search and search and search in Google how to do stuff on there. You know it's bad because I'm almost a hundred percent sure there is a Tasker for Dummies book because <laughs> it was that difficult to figure it out. Now I celebrated hard one day when I got a script to run that like it turned on the Wi-Fi on my phone and then dim the phone brightness when I was inside. I literally <laughs> popped bottles on that day. Yeah, th even something it was insane. that simple was like an accomplishment back then, but it was it was fun. It, it took three days just to write a script <laughs> for that. Just to get that little thing to work, but it makes you so happy when it works. Exactly. And and that derived a couple of, like I said, Siri Shortcuts is one of them. Siri Shortcuts is actually newer 
but the one that came directly after after that was IFTTT. If, and yes, go ahead and say well, it. I know. If this, then that. If you don't know. So if you don't know, if this, then that is basically Tasker came out and Tasker was for if you had a doctorate in neuroscience and you were a rocket man. But if this, then that came out and it was like, okay, maybe people with just a BA wants to actually be able to create stuff. So they said, let's dumb it down just a little bit make it a little bit more accessible. And that's what it was. It was basically a better vert. Not, I'm not gonna say better tasker technically at the time was still far superior than IFTTT by far, not even close, but at least that version of scripting was easier to follow with bright buttons and colors a little bit easier than what they were wanting you to do with tasker. And I remember using if that, like the first time it was like amazed at what you can build out of it. And I used it to build uh, a script basically to do the same thing I did in Tasker instead of three days. It took about a day and a half. Yeah. It's much faster and it does it with basically step by step. I want this program to do this when this happens and then this result. So you can uh, also integrate all your different companies worth of tech together, different brands you can make them work together. Right. So right. if this and that lets you, you know, make your ring doorbell do something when a certain sensor goes off. So you can make things talk to each other that otherwise wouldn't work together just out of the box. So that's a nice thing that I use it for. Yeah, I agree with that, too, because one, one of the things that was kind of interesting originally is, which makes sense. And, you know, Google things worked with Google and the her that we won't say to trigger your stuff actually kind of work with his own subset of things. They didn't actually cross each other. And then it got even more complicated when Samsung introduced smart things and smart things was his own ecosystem. And then all these other companies started doing piece by piece, making their own little, you know, um, self-revolving ecosystems. And they didn't really cross over. And if that, kind of took all those pieces and said, okay, I can work with both of these things and and bridge them. It basically became a bridge. And it was like, okay, so you have a Google phone and you have this. I can make them work together. So that was like one of the first programs that I used that actually bridged together multiple services or multiple products. Yeah, I think that's that's huge if you're not using that right now and you have some smart home stuff and things that may not talk to each other. Use that. It'll really make your life easier trying to integrate all your devices definitely and and the hub situation is another point that most people don't get i mean smart the smart home situation is really fragmented in a lot of ways oh, yeah. if you have a hub in most cases people want to sell you a hub something that can talk the brain to everything that's why Samsung came out with smart things. Smart things had its own hub. And Samsung was like, okay, we make a refrigerator. We're going to make a, you know, a dryer and a washer and all these things can talk to this hub. And Google's like, oh, well, we, we're going to have our own hub, which is where the hub home came from was we need a hub, a brain that can talk to all these things. So it made it super fragmented in a lot of ways because you had to buy several hubs, but programs like if that and even Tasker now, like the newest version of Tasker is able to reach across the, to bridge all these things together. So it's easier now more than ever by far. Cause like if you go back five years, it's just insane how much further we've come in automation. Yeah. It's gotten really complex, but also gotten a little, a little bit easier with different, different ways to pull stuff together. But on my smart things, the, the big thing about that is that it lets you hook up Z wave and other like wireless technologies to it. So not all plugs or lights that you get are on Wi-Fi. They can't connect to your network. So you need something like smart things to hook up certain things on Z-Wave, little sensors and things to get integrated. And then everything reads over to smart things and can pull over and see all your devices that maybe the Google uh, Mini or the Echoes can't, can't read straight up on Wi-Fi. So I, right. I've got one of those myself with a ton of lights and everything else plugged into it, uh, pl plugs and uh, the doorbell, things like that. It'll pick up most things, but uh, some of the things that are Wi-Fi only, like uh, 
LifeX light bulbs and some Sylvania light bulbs. They have their own apps. So you can automatically just plug them into your Wi-Fi, open up the app, get them on, and then you can share them and let the smart things see them. And then through that, like let if then that or other things tie tie everything together. So it's like right. it's a complicated process every time you buy something. I mean, let me add, add the app. If I bought something with a new brand, let me add it on there and then let me share it over to smart things and then tell, tell my smart things to share it to the echo and the, the Google mini so they can see it too. So it's always, yeah, but it's still, it's still better than what it was versus what it is now. Like it's yeah. 10 times better now. If you get that, that, that little setup down and you understand this app is allowing this app to see it and this app can see everything. And then like once that's done, all your devices are, are hooked up. But if you're just setting it up for the first time, you're like, why can't this other thing see this? Why isn't it not picking it up? Sometimes you gotta all your applications are like shared and linked up, and it can be frustrating doing it from scratch. But once you have some kind of base setup, you know what you're doing when you add in new devices. Right. Yeah. I mean, I I, I have tons of them. I mean, I have. I mean, some of the it started with plugs, and then you got hubs, and you got light bulbs. I mean, the list goes on and on and on and on and on and on of things that you can use. So, I mean. What what are some of the stuff, things that you're using your yourself like right now? Oh, I got a lot of stuff plugged in. Always want to get more, but I started out with LifeX lights just because I wanted some of those cool, colorful lights and be able to control the the color. And at first, it was like it red, make it pulse, make it sync up to the music. That's kind of fun. But then I kept buying more and more smart lights, trying to get some cheaper ones, just the straight up like. Uh, LifeX white mini, so they're not forty-five dollars; they're twenty bucks instead. But throw those all over the house. I got those on timers. Got them on different groups in the living room, on the front porch, you know, in the bedroom. Try to get anywhere we use a regular light. Oh <laughs> yeah, in the bedroom, <laughs> everywhere. Yeah, you know it. So you can do everything from the bed. You don't have to get up and you know touch touch a, touch a knob or turn anything off or walk to the to the door or anything like that. That's so not exactly where I was going with that, but okay. <laughs> but I got lights everywhere. Um, so I leave all the switches on. Don't, don't touch switches if you don't have to. Then I have plugs and stuff for other areas that I didn't have a smart light. Just got an old LED or something, so I just plug in the lamp to a, a smart plug. Got some uh, TP-Link and Amazon plugs around the house. So a couple different brands there. And then I have an outdoor plug that like turns on the patio lights so I can, I don't have to walk outside and go all the way to the plug at the end of the patio and like plug it in. I can just tell her, tell, you know, Amazon, turn it on and then bam, porch is on. That's easy. Right. Yeah. And easy. Like, I think that's nice. That's, that's the convenient part. And the one uh, hurdle I had was trying to get my wife to be cool with memorizing all the different names for these different groups of lights and like right that's the hard part is you can do it yourself the <laughs> that's yeah, the hard if, part. if you have guests over or other people in your house and like you want to actually do this and you want to have automated lights and just leave the switches on and stuff then everybody's got to know how to turn stuff on and that, that comes with either you doing automation with some room sensors or people's GPS on their phone to turn lights on or something or just People memorizing, you know, telling Amazon to turn on the couch, turn on the living room, turn off the TV, stuff like that. Because you can get pretty complicated with it, and then you start running out of names or start forgetting. What you call, <laughs> yeah, <call this> <laughs> yeah, I, I've run into that already myself with uh, several of my items where where two of my actual groups are very similar named, and when you get to talking to you know your your Google and say X. And it's like, which one? And I'm like, heck, I don't even know which one. Just just turn on something. Yeah, it's it, sometimes it's frustrating. She's like, did you mean this? And you're like, no, no, I meant the other one. Don't turn that one on. I don't want that on. So if, if you run into that, then that's where I have to go. Okay, maybe I, I need to rethink what I named this group. because She keeps hearing something else every time. So I need to make it easier for me and Amazon to understand. Exactly. I'm like, you know, I don't want to accidentally turn on the lights when I'm, you know, watching my premium membership website and, you know, I want to, I don't want to accidentally do that. I want to turn on the mood lighting and not turn on the overall light where everybody can see me watching what I'm watching. So you got to be really careful with how you actually name these things in all honesty. Exactly. Safety first. And safety, safety first. But in, in my case, like I have an NVIDIA Shield TV, which is um, basically a streaming box. But the reason why I bought it is NVIDIA Shield is a Android TV box. So it has actually 
uh, Google Assistant built into it, as well as the ability to be a, a hub for your entire house. So I ended up getting that, and mainly because it also plays 4K video, and that's another long story. But um, instead of getting a Roku or a Fire Stick or one of those, I ended up getting that because it could do a lot more um, for the money. And of course, like, I mean, everybody, I mean, I got plugs on top of plugs, like some, some of the better plugs. I mean, uh, you know, Amazon sells their own plugs. Um, I actually started out with getting like wise and getting a couple of Wemo. Um, I mean, Wemo was definitely like Wemo mini is like the one. Those are great. I bought several of those. Um, and light bulbs wise, uh, you know, I've gotten, both switches and I've got in bulbs. Um, and, and it's one of those things where you have to make a decision on how many bulbs you need, where you need to place it, et cetera, et cetera. And it means which ones you end up buying. Some are cheaper, some are not. I mean, they, I remember when I bought my first bulb, that first bulb was like $35. And I was like, I would never buy another bulb again <laughs> in my life. But it's come down since then a lot for sure. What brand of bulbs are you trying to invest in? Um, I think originally I started out with. It wasn't life X. No, I wasn't that high up. I think it was a Phillips brand, but that bulb has since gone away. And that's another thing. Some of them, they do last for a long period of time. There are some that do not. There are some that you can get them and they're like, okay, some you may. And others. Yes. So you got to be careful. If you spend your money on a Wi Fi bulb, if you get a bulb that has a five year rating on it or at least or something, so you'll have to change it out. Yeah, when you're spending forty five bucks on a on a light bulb, you, you want it to last like millions and trillions of hours if, if possible. You don't want to replace that once a year. Exactly. Exactly. By by far thirty five dollars yes, thirty five dollars is not a lot of money, but when you think about it, but it's a bulb. You can go buy a bulb for like a dollar now. Yeah. And think about if you want to have that same kind of bulb in fifty spots. When you start adding up, if you have a house, even a small like a small apartment with a few bedrooms. You might have 15, 20 light bulbs, depending on the kind of lamps, the kind of ceiling fan you have, like what you're trying to do, what you're trying to automate. So you take that number, you multiply it up, and all of a sudden you need to buy 40 light bulbs for your house. Like it can get expensive. So you don't need the color light bulbs in every every lamp. You Some of them only need like oh a basic white light bulbs. So you can get that for 15 bucks, 20 bucks instead of $45. Right. So there's a lot of thought to take into consideration. Like do you need this room to be all colorized or not? So you can save yourself some money there. Yeah, and honestly, it, it it will get super expensive because I I probably have thirty Wi-Fi enabled items in my house, or at, at least twenty, maybe not thirty, twenty. Um, and the thing is, you you get stuck in the the ecosystem, and you just keep adding more and more. But that's actually good because what what ends up happening if you want to get the most out of your smart home setup, smart house, if you want to get something that actually works for you you have to invest a lot more into it and just keep investing into it because you can buy light bulbs and you if you buy decent light bulbs that are five years you don't have to worry about buying another set to replace that set you just invest the money into another piece another item another um another bulb another switch because you can use literally anything can be set up as smart house and smart home enabled and you can use it with google it's like it, the the possibilities are literally endless at this point yeah and it's, it doesn't happen overnight either you're gonna end up buying this stuff over time like i've been buying pieces for this over the last four or five years so it starts slow and then it starts picking up steam you get all excited get into it and you just try ordering more stuff all the time so it's a, it's a yeah. process. You don't have to spend two thousand dollars day one. You spend you know fifty dollars here, hundred dollars there, and then you just start building up the house where you need stuff. Right. You just do it a piece at a time. So, but I'm looking forward to some new stuff. Now I remember, like as I want to say CES, like there was a refrigerator that was smart enabled, and I know they've had some before, but this one was, uh, I believe, this was a Samsung. If you don't know this by now, Samsung has is normally on the bleeding edge of all appliance technology all the time but even when it doesn't make reason, sense <laughs> it, yes even when it doesn't make sense the, samsung and lg are the two that you can definitely guarantee at ces they're gonna have a smart enabled potato maker <laughs> like no joke they're just like oh, the world needs a potato maker and then they'll show it up and we're like 
nobody needs it. And when it comes out, 800,000 people buy it. Like, no joke. That's just how it works. But I'm looking forward to some more appliances that are smart. Enough. I mean, there there's refrigerators already. Uh, there are washers and dryers that are already um, out. I mean, I'm looking for, I mean, I, I, hell, I'll take a toaster, a coffee maker. There's an Amazon microwave, but it's, again, we got really bad reviews I saw, but they did put uh, the Amazon Echo tech into a microwave. You can just tell it, make popcorn. Now, see, that's what I don't want. I don't want to talk to it. I don't want to have a conversation with my, you know, my microphone. Like, hey, what's up, bud? What you need? Uh, (laughs) Can you pop me some popcorn? No, get it yourself. I I don't want that. I don't want to have to do that. They had to go back and forth (laughs) with my microwave and take over my world and skydip me. Did you mean turn off all the lights? No, No, I did not. Yes, exactly. I wanted to be smart. Like, and that's that's part of the issue. Is yes, there is a a level of smart in an appliance that works where I can say, hey, whatever, turn on microwave. I don't want to have to go over to the microwave itself and talk to the physical microwave and microwave. Hey, bro, you know, hook me up with some popcorn. I don't want to do that. You could have pushed the button on the front and then had it halfway done. Exactly. So there, there is a certain level of just laziness that I don't want, <laughs> but there's a level that I do want. Like one of the levels I want is smart blinds. That is something that I oh, really, really yeah. need to buy. And people who, Open their blind. Let me start off. If you live in a place where you have windows, not everybody has a lot of windows. I'm just saying it's the truth. But if you live in a place where you have a lot of windows, a lot. Like in my place right now, I pry, I have like eight or nine windows that I have to manually open or close every single time that I want to look at them. I would love <laughs> to have some man, some automated versions of window blinds to work. ASAP. Well, you know, they, they do make that, but that's one smart home tech that's still very expensive. I looked into that when we moved into the house, and I'm thinking the same thing. I don't want to adjust these all the time. The sun moves to a different direction. I want to be able to do it automatically, start it in the morning, put it on a schedule. But when I was looking at that, like, damn, those blinds are not cheap. That's thousands of dollars if you got several windows to do. Like, each of the blinds is probably a few hundred bucks each. So it's, it's not where you I would just drop, uh, you know, 50 bucks on that per window or something. It's, it's still too expensive for me. No, yeah, I get that. I mean, I think that's probably one, one of the newer techs, and that's probably the reason why it's so much it, it, more expensive right now. And, and it's one of the ones that not everybody using. using. But there, there are some alternatives. I have looked at some motorized um, blinds. They're not the kind that we're used to. They're more like shades and they're just drop down fast type things, but they, they, but they still are still, you know, not cheap. They're probably like $50 per, per window or so. So it will get expensive, especially if you've got nine windows, it becomes, you know, a, a whole check. It, it's almost <laughs> as expensive as going to Whole Foods in a week. I mean, seriously, it's crazy. Yeah. Just to get your windows automated. But once you do that, man, you never have to touch that blind again. That'd be beautiful. Yeah, until it breaks, and then that's a whole other problem. You know, some other smart home thing that's expensive right now are smart vents for your air conditioning. So think about how many of those you have across your house in every room in your hallway. But the smart vent lets you dynamically close off the vent to a certain room or an area when that temperature is already met. So you know how if you have bigger house, uh, different rooms and stuff, one room always cools off slower than the rest of them. I was looking at solutions for that and they have a smart vent, but it's a hundred, hundred and fifty dollars per vent. And then you have to buy some other adapter hub thing to follow those hook into. And it's really expensive, but it would close off the ones for the rooms you don't need dynamically, or you'd be able to set a temperature like when this room hits this, just close it off and then balance to the other room. And that'd be that'd be like real badass to have it set up to try to balance out your house. But when I started looking around the rooms, I'm like, Oh geez, man, that'd be a couple grand just to get the vents set up and then when those break too yeah it's expensive replacement yeah i'm good i, I don't <laughs> No, i'm good that's a, that's a I, item right there along with the with the smart blinds for me well you could just i mean there are sensors that are out there that can kind of turn off but it's it's not it's going to be all or nothing less than yeah specific to a place Right, right. So, yeah, no, we can leave that there. I'm not, I'm not rich. I know you hate poor people, but man, geez, I, I ain't got that. So, well, I do have the temperature sensors for the Nest thermostat. I have two of those. 
or two of the Nest thermostats, one for each side of the house because I get two different air conditioners. But the temperature sensors, you throw them in a room, and then you can tell it when this room hits a temp, cut it off. So put those in the, the main bedroom we're in, so we get comfortable, and the rest of them, who knows what's going on in the rest of the rooms. They might be cooking, or they might be freezing, but our room's good, so <laughs> cut the AC Oh, out. I know. I've been there, and it's, <laughs> yeah, you don't care about the other people in your house, like I can tell. Sorry about that. Yeah, the other apartment. Yeah, sorry about your life. We're not, we're not balanced perfectly. We're trying to work on that. <laughs> yeah, it's all good, though, but, you know, I, I can feel that. I mean, like, man. You, you cooking in here. I got it. I got it. But um, one, one of the things that I would say, and I know you, you may know this yourself, like Ikea sells a lot of cheaper automated items. And that's one route you can go. Cause they do have a lot of automation in their building. And it's, um, it's one of the few places that I will go and just walk around and be like, okay, what can you sell me today? Like they have tons of stuff. Yeah. That's like an inspirational walkthrough and going through their store, trying to get ideas. To, like what, what, what should I do in these rooms? What should I do in my house? That's a good yeah. place to get inspiration. Yeah. I mean, they build the store like a maze on purpose. They want you to walk through it. They want you to be like, Ooh, ah, I want to, Ooh, ah, I want to, you know, so I need this. I need this and they want you to they want you to do it. But, you know, that's one place I would say. And I mean, there's a couple of Amazon, you know, related tech companies or companies that selling through Amazon directly, even though, yes, right now, if you try to buy something with everything going on, it's going to be super delayed. Um, but like wise cam, I have wise cams. I bought some cameras um, and for the price to the the quality of what the item is, is really great. Like they came out with these cameras, they, they stripped away all of the things that, you know, you don't really need in, in a camera. And they put out a camera for like 40 bucks is, is the best camera that you can get for $40. Yeah. Well, I think the $40 one is the one that has the the pivot and all that stuff, but you, you can get them. Sometimes it's cheap with no shipping charges for 20 bucks. And they sell them at home Depot sometimes for $20 flat. Yeah, they have them at Home Depot and Micro Center and Target. They're, they they've actually creeped into the mainstream at this point. Yeah, they're they're everywhere, which is pretty neat to see. But I, I have a mix of Wise, uh, Ring, and and Neft. I've kind of I'm all over the place on, on camera tech. So I, it's about that dollar. <laughs> I got, yeah, it's a, I started going cheaper and cheaper and cheaper because I was like, it's very nice. Oh, Ring is decent but still expensive okay here's here's the wise that's 20 bucks I, I like that let me buy a couple of those but i got the nest uh i have a smart door bro man you gotta see who's at your door dropping off packages who's still in your packages over but i love the nest doorbell since it has people recognition so you can hook it up to the the google mini and then since google owns uh nest the nest doorbell only works with the google mini so i couldn't have it hooked up to do the uh, doorbell announcements on Amazon devices, unfortunately. So that's why I had to have a mix of both Google's and Alexa's, but it'll announce, it'll say, Oh, Sylvia's here. Jeff's here and do a little ding dong. If it recognizes the person. So that's, that's awesome. Then it has 24 seven recording. You can have five days history on there. It's like, it's, it's pretty nice. I like that a lot, but Nest is also the most expensive out of all the camera techs because each of those outdoor cameras, I don't have any of them, but they're like, 179 or 259 300 each depending on the quality you get i'm like i'm not gonna spend 250 to 300 per camera i'm just not i'm not that baller status yet one of these days but not right now so i went right. from that to getting a ring yeah. floodlight put it put that on the back of the house in the driveway which is nice to have a giant floodlight and still record stuff people coming and going whatever's going on back there mostly just cats and dogs stray running around the neighborhood but at least we know but the the ring thing that kind of sucks about that is it's only one minute chunks. That doesn't do twenty four seven recording like the Nest, and you're and you're still kind of paying for right. a, a service there. But you get one minute chunks, so it's like oh, a one minute at a time. It's a weird restriction. They say they weren't going to go twenty four seven, but it hasn't happened yet. And the quality is not as good. It doesn't have people recognition. It has motion recognition, but it doesn't tell you if it's a person or a package or a, a you know a car like the Nest can do. It's a lot smarter. So you're really paying for the the quality when you get the nest stuff. I went from that to get, get a couple of wise cameras yeah. like you have, because they're, they're super basic, but if you get your own SD card, throw it in there, there's no subscription fee. 
you can get a little outdoor case if you want to mount it outdoors somewhere or just put them in the house. And you throw it up and you have it set up in like 10 minutes and you're, you can record whatever. And the quality is good enough to see what's going on. And they have motion sensor and they can give you alerts and things. So I think for 20 bucks, it's like the best thing if you want to put up multiple cameras all over and have a lot of coverage. It's super easy to, to get into the wise stuff. Yeah, I think wise is probably the best the best not non branded. Well, wise is a brand, but it's the best non known branded item yeah. that I you know picked up. So I honestly would say, I mean, they they really stripped away like though the things that you don't really need. You don't really need continuous record. You actually don't even need the SD card thing. And most people, most people who have them don't know or do know it actually sends to your phone clips over and over again of motion so if you set it to motion you can actually record a, a chunk of a video so it's, it's basically a easy way to get into smart home it's just a, a cheaper way to do it beside for dropping you know the the, the rich man's 200 yeah, so it's guess. definitely not the rich man's thing it's uh it's the every man's camera but if you drop in an sd card you get the continuous recording and if you don't use the sd card you get 12 second clips which is a little bit of a bummer when I first got it. I'm like, yeah. what am I supposed to do with 12 seconds? It's basically telling you, okay, something happened here. And then five minutes later, it will record another 12 second clip. So it is, it is free cloud based recording. But yeah. you put that SD card in, you can just log in and go to that time and like you can scrub it, see your whole thing, go back a few days. And all it takes is like a 32 gig card to get four or five days of recording. So it's, it's still pretty cheap. Right. But they, they, they've updated their, their software recently. You don't have to have the SD card. It can actually be backed up to a cloud now. So that has been added over the last probably couple of months, I think, or so. So there, there's, yes, there is a service fee for that one. However, is at least it can be loaded up to the cloud. So either way, cheap version, whatever, it is definitely, um, uh, an easy starter type situation with, with wise cams and, some of the other smaller companies that we don't mention at times, but I mean, a lot of these things started out as offshoots and Phillips and Sylvania and all these companies like, okay, we're going to do the same thing. And in competition is good because it, it makes it cheaper because it, for the fact that wise can make a camera for sub 40 bucks in most of their cameras, like even their, their top of the line one is about 45 bucks. So sub 40, 50 bucks versus what we were trying to buy five years ago is is a huge step yeah before you had to pick from nest arlo ring and everything was hundreds hundreds of dollars for a solution and then wise came out you're like is this is this real for 20 bucks 30 bucks did i actually have a camera so i didn't think it'd be the 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 podcast we're repping for wise but i I will say if you want to get something man that's, that's quality stuff for what what it's giving you yeah, wise. If you're hearing this, we take checks and we'll review some free products. Or we want to be product testers or all that stuff. Exactly. We we here for it. We here for it all day. But another thing that you can do when you're trapped in the house, beside for setting up your smart home, is playing some video games. And we're not gonna just talk about some video games. We're gonna talk about some games that will make you break your controller. The Mainstream Podcast is brought to you by you. If you want to know how to support the podcast, please go to Anchor. Links will be in the show notes. So one thing that grinds my gears in my Peter Griffin voice is these games, they have super hard difficulties. Like the the list is... Is a lot, it's definitely a lot bigger than it used to be, um, but it's still it's still a very niche kind of area to be in. It's hard games, but there are some that induce rage, like legit will make me What's want done to hurt somebody. <laughs> so lately, and like I said, I have a big list, but lately, Sekiro. Oh my God. I don't understand why you will want to play a game that makes you this angry <laughs> all the time. And I mean, seriously, the, the list of games that I've played that are okay. So we, we're going to separate these into separate, several categories here. There are games that are hard for no reason. There are games that are. They have hard difficulties built into the game, but you can select what you want 
to be if you wanted to be you know where i break my fingers you can select it or if you wanted to be where i can at least get through the game you can do that and then there's games that scale up and down the difficulty of the game as you're playing and that's really the sweet spot in certain games but so some of the games that are just hard for no reason low no rhyme or reason at all breaking your controller break your fingernails break your hand whatever you want to do so Sekiro Shadows Die Twice is one. Well, I, let's just put it like this. Anything from From Software. If you don't know who From Software is, they make Bloodborne. They make Sekiro. Dark they Soul. make one of the... <laughs> I, I was getting there. It's, I didn't want to speak his name. But Dark Souls, Demon Souls. These games are games that are legit hard. There is no difficulty in most of these games, period. It is the just game hates you. hard. Like... It hates you. It wants to stump on your face. It wants to make sure you don't have babies and reproduce. It is and yeah, these, these games are selling millions so, of copies these days. So beating people's ass and just frustrating the hell out of everybody. It's crazy. Exactly. And, and it, it's crazy because like, we got some, some sadists around here or something because these people and, and I'm one of them because I, I, I remember playing Bo- uh, Bloodborne. I didn't play Demon Souls or Dark Souls. I played my first from software game was Bloodborne. And I had talked, and I remember talking to a couple of people like, yeah, Demon's Souls is hard. And I'm like, it can't be that hard. It can't be. And I played Bloodborne. I'm like, what in the hell? What is wrong with you people? Yeah, when you get into a game where every corner you walk around, it might be a one hit kill, the floor drops out from under you, some guy surprises you and just ganks you after you beat a boss before you saved your game and you lose all your stuff. Like, over and over and over and over again. They make you so nervous to just walk down a new hallway because you don't know what the hell's going to happen. But you know, whatever's down there, it's probably going to kick your ass before you figure out how to beat it. But they... Right. It's one of those bad, bad nightmares for you to play some of these games. I mean, did you you play Demon's Souls and Dark Souls, I believe, right? I skipped those because I was, I was too scared. <laughs> that type of journey through the game where it really just drops you in and doesn't tell you anything doesn't tell you what to do specifically you can go all around and really explore for yourself and try to figure it out knock your head against the wall or work with the online community as the game comes out to try to figure out like all the puzzles and what the hell's going on it's just really just a non-directional figure it out yourself kind of game and when those were coming out i wasn't i wasn't into that mode yet i was just watching from afar and hearing people talking about how difficult that series was i played a little bit of bloodborne I bounced off it too quick because I wasn't I wasn't ready for that style yet. The game I played with that style in the same vein of that was Neo. Did you, did you play some Neo? I did not because I I think I didn't play Neo because I was playing Sekiro Ooh. and I didn't want to play them both at the same time because it was already hard enough playing Sekiro and I was like, dude, I'm not gonna do this for much longer. So I couldn't play them both at the same time. But I heard yeah, Neo is super hard. I haven't played Sekiro myself, but I wouldn't imagine going between similar games like this at the same time would be good for you. Like messing up your timing, messing up your controls in your head. They just it'd probably be best like you did to just play one at a time until you're done. And then take like a six or seven or eight year break, and then go back to the next one. I <laughs> <But laughs> definitely eight year break because you you're gonna man, need it after both of Neo them. Neo sure. kicked my ass hard. I think I got to the second boss, and I, I played the dude ten times, like for hours. And then every time you beat him, I had to run through the next section to get back up to. Or I didn't actually. Every time I lost to him, I had to run through the whole section again to get back to him. And I was like, what am I doing wrong? Like, I don't have anything else to whoop this guy's ass. Like, he always gets me before I can finish him off. So I bounced off that after a while, but I probably put 10 hours into that, just exploring, trying to get good. And right when you think you're doing okay and you figured out some moves, you hit, you hit a boss that just makes you rethink your whole strategy and just, like, destroys you again, makes you play the game different. But those, those, those have the most satisfying yeah. time when you... Beat somebody finally, like use your new skills and do something uh, different, and you're actually successful. But in the meantime, you're just getting your butt like stomped all day. Yeah, it just hands it to you. Like, it shows it to you, then hands it to you, then shows it to you again. It's the craziest thing. Uh, you know, another game that kind of is in that same vein is The oh, Surge. Yeah. And I don't know if you, yeah, it, The Surge was one of those games where I, I honestly 
didn't and this came out before Sekiro, the first one came out before Sekiro. It came out after Bloodborne, and I was like, "What? Why do people keep <laughs> making games like this? <laughs> like, I don't understand why there every year there's this game that is like, oh my god, I want to you know break my fingers off." But one game for sure that was suit like in this same category of too hard for no apparent damn reason at all is Cuphead. And even though Cuphead looks like it should be an easy, fun play through game, it is one of the hardest games I have no, ever. Don't try to played. throw a kid on that because they're not going to make it past the tutorial. It's impossible. That game looks cute, but it's it's it really is the devil. <laughs> I mean, definitely. I mean, it look the the game looks great. The game plays awesome. It has you know these beautiful pop out colors and this 1930s and 20s style and all and it looks like a cartoon from you know the 30s and 40s and stuff but let me tell you it is not your friend and it hates Dude, your it, life it is so damn hard it looks beautiful the animation is beautiful but it's really deceptive because that game will beat you down over and over and over again it's relentless yeah like like you stole something like seriously it's relentless it is just and no matter how far you get in the game, it always reminds you that you haven't did gotten you, far. Did you ever beat it? <laughs> For sure. No, I, I could not. I couldn't do it. It was one of those games where I was like, I wish I could get to the end of this. And then other stuff came out. And I'm like, you know what the hell was this? I'm going to play something else for a while. And I yeah, never I was trying to do uh, a level per night or a boss per night. But I got to a point, too, where some just stopped me from playing. And I, I didn't go back, but I, I didn't finish it. But it was very, very difficult. Yeah, and then, and then you have the category of games that are hard, but you can kind of select them uh, based off of the difficulty. And I mean, I know you got a few in that list that you probably have played that you played on hard for some reason or another. Yeah, on the selectable difficulty, man, the ones in in co op co op games specifically playing through the campaign uh, with my buddies, we'd always play the Halo campaign on heroic, not legendary. I know it's not the hardest difficulty, but we bump it up to heroic. We want a little bit of a challenge. It forces you to use more teamwork and try to actually strategize a little bit. But we did play the Gears campaign on Insane. Now that would get just stupid hard in places and certain bosses would it would just be dumb. Like you would bump up against it and think, "There's no way we can beat this." They're just killing us instantly. There's no ammo. It's impossible. But we knock our head head against it over and over and over again to finally get through it. But I think the the funnest co-op campaign is when you bump up the difficulty and it really forces you guys to work together as a team to to finish it. And right, maybe I, I would say this. I was going to get back to some games that don't let you select the difficulty, like Super Meat, Meat Boy or Hollow Knight. Okay. Do you play in any of those games, like two D side scrollers that are just just hard, just for no reason, but <laughs> they're fun to still play? I I, tr- I did try. Um, Hollow Knight a little bit didn't play it much. I will be going back, and that's in my catalog of things of you know you know quarantine items to to pull out of my my hat at this point. Um, Super Meat Boy, I did try because it's it's literally on everything. You can play Super yeah. Meat Boy on a potato, so it's like everywhere. So I have occasionally touched it here and there, but it's not it's not one of those games where I'm gonna play it. I don't believe I would ever ever get a chance to really play it through. And but I have tried to tried it at least once or twice. Yeah, I, I beat that game, but it was I probably lost some skin on my fingers trying to like beat on the controller to, to get everything just right because you gotta be like pixel perfect on some of those later later levels to finish it. And it was one of those games that makes you want to smash your controller when you're constantly dying and dying and dying. Right. The good thing about it is when you die, you hit a button, you're back to the beginning instantly. There's no loading times because you could die hundreds of times on each level. But I didn't, I didn't finish it on the, there's always like a side B you go through the game again and make the levels harder. That's when it took it, it took it up to a level where I was like, there's no way in hell I could do this. It's too, too much uh, accuracy and, making your palms sweaty and I can't even hold this controller it's slipping out of my hands I'm so nervous this is too much <laughs> palms yeah, exactly. sweaty mom spaghetti yeah I know it's crazy I mean one, one game that I will say this my is is my select difficulty type of game is Doom and the new Doom Eternal you know the, those type of shooters those FPS games that are 
you can select it and play through it on like a harder difficulty. Those are very rewarding games. Doom Wolfenstein is another one too, where it's like the, they're very, very similar made games, right? So um, playing those on hard, harder difficulties, it, it gives you a chance to, even though it's a run and gun type game, but it, on harder difficulties, it gives you more of a challenge than just running through and, you know, letting rip. So I like those type of FPSs where you play as a, in a story situation. Now, I did try doing this with your, your regular Call of Duties and your, like, Battlefield. I, I played Battlefield 1 campaign on hard worst mistake of my life it was bad it, you talk about playing sections multiple times and you're just like i'm tired of seeing this story go did you try the modern warfare games on veteran difficulty do you remember all the grenade no. spam like the ai would just grenade throw grenade throw grenade throw grenade I it do remember that. Horrible. I remember watching a video of like this. Those, those guys were, were horrible. But terrible I, to you. Like you'd, you'd load a checkpoint, boom, grenade, like you're dead. Right. Like, yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Like no, no Russian. Play no Russian on that level. And and just think, oh man, this is <laughs> not not the part where you're walking through the airport because the airport part is pretty easy. It's like oh, you leading lambs to the slaughter. But once you get to the outside where you have to fight back, you know, that's a very, very different. Yeah, the game. Call of Duty veteran difficulties are always a pain in the ass, but I, I would always try to beat the game on that after I went through it once. It was, an, it was a good, if frustrating, challenge and rewarding when you finished it. But speaking of the Call of Duty thing, I had the hardest, probably the hardest achievement I ever did was on the original Modern Warfare, the Mile High Club. It was uh, an airplane level. You had to finish it on veteran and in less than 60 seconds and go through it. And if you get hit one or two times, you basically died instantly. So it was a, a, a lesson in going through and memorizing it, all the AI locations, the exact part of the screen to shoot, when to reload, when to jump, dive, like down, down to the second to perfectly time it. I, I played that level for hours. You, do you need a you need a friend? Oh, this is this is back in the day. I mean, I had plenty of time. I had plenty of time oh, in my hands you, just you. to beat my head against the wall for like five hours trying to get that achievement. <laughs> Nowadays, I just let it go. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes you gotta let it go, but and, and it, in the last category for me is the ones where it kind of scales the difficulty. And the last game I played with that kind of you know where it scaled the difficulty and it played well was. Um, the the Star Wars game that just came out, you know, it Jedi was really good with pacing the game, and it really had a a, a feel. Even though the difficulty seemed to scale as you were playing it up and down a little bit, and you play it on like a normal or hard, and it was it was like hard plus and hard minus at times where you play, you could feel how the game seemed like it wanted to give you. A little bit of leeway when you got killed by a storm a stormtrooper sixteen times in one spot. It's like, hey, bro, you might want to rethink this, and like, you want to you want to go down in difficulty. Um, but it's one of those few games recently that I played it. I really like, you know, the whole scalable difficulty. I played through that, beat it. It was glorious. I wish they make another one because people believe that single play. Uh, single player kind of game experience and campaign experience is dead because there's so much, you know, multiplayer type of games out there. I'm telling you, Jedi, start this Star Wars game is one of the reasons why I will go back to the single player game. Yeah, single player games are, are not dead. And I hope they keep making them because, man, they're, they're that's where I'm at right now in my gaming life. I, I almost prefer the solitary single player story driven game. Yeah, I'm, I'm getting there. I'm changing, bro. I don't have time for these unlimited games online multiplayer. This goes forever and ever and ever. I can't, I can't get into those as much as I used to. So if I can play a single player game that actually has an ending, I can see the credits roll. I, I, I appreciate that this time in my life. <laughs> yeah, I feel you because I mean, there, there's a couple of uh, single player games. I'm like, okay, just I like this. I like to sit back and play. I don't want to. Now, granted, I play a ton of Battlefield. Five right now a ton of battlefield um and and i know i i do dabble here and there in some other ones but um it's nothing like the experience the cinematic experience of sitting there and playing through something and it telling you a story and the story 
actually being good is there is nothing like that feeling. And that was something that we all, well, at least us. I mean, I don't know about you Gen Z people out there, but us um, older millennials like yourself and people who are from um, <laughs> your Gen X like myself, um, we we grew up on games where it played a story. It told you a story and the story was good that would made made you come back to it and play it. That was the whole experience. It, it was before my time there was no you know, we wasn't in the the, the further the furthest that multiplayer went was four people in a room on yeah, one screen at one point. That was the extent. So that's all we had was single player. That's all we had was like trying to figure out. And we didn't, we didn't have 60 inch TVs back then. You're talking about 19 inch, 20, 27 inch TVs split into four. And so everybody could play. Now imagine <laughs> that today, you would not stand for that shit. You, you would go to the store and buy yourself a 75 inch TV and call it a day. But we didn't have that option back then. <laughs> no, we didn't. We, we had a, a CRT TV and four people sitting in front. Of it. it wasn't even flat. It was yeah, you know, a big TV. Definitely was, it was not a big flat. round TV. <laughs> So, you know, it it is definitely something I go back to, like just playing single player games um, is, is great. But hi, the higher the difficulty on them is honestly, the more that you feel rewarded whenever you go through it. Yeah, I do appreciate a good a good hard game now and then, especially if it's one where it's not cheap. They're not just increasing the enemies. HP points or something to make it where you have to shoot them with you know ten thousand more bullets. But it's something where if you can get better and you can practice at the game, you can beat it with your pure skill alone. And it'll just keep challenging you and challenging you. But when enemies become bullet sponges and stuff, that's kind of cheap. But when it's like really pushing you to your limits, that that can be a good rewarding difficulty right there and worth bumping it up. Yeah, I feel you on that one, man. And we're gonna wrap this show up with some possible recommendations for you, you know, some things that you can go and look at or read um, in order to, you know, not be bored in this quarantine time because we're all kind of just stuck in that in the house at some point. I mean, all over the world at this point, we're kind of just stuck in place. So we got a little, you know, a couple of juicy nuggets that you want to um, maybe go check out, you know, maybe not go check it out more than this podcast, but at least go check it out. You know, some, some things that we look at, listen to and read. So, um, Chris, you got a couple of those recommendations for the, for the good people. I got a couple for this uh, time in quarantine for you to check out. Uh, if you're, if you're watching Netflix and you're a fan of Ozark, do season three drop, drop last week. And we started to, to binge that. That show is stressful as hell. And awesome. If you watch the other two episodes, it's just a, a damn good show about, money laundering, drug running, all sorts of funny situations these people get into, life or death stuff. But it, it's been entertaining us. So I would, I would sit there and try to watch that while you're locked in the house. And then when you're done with that, start watching Tiger King on Netflix. If you <laughs> Please, no, yes, no, 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 no. Do not recommend Dude, It's so thing. ridiculous. We're only a couple episodes in, but... I've tried to not look at too many spoilers, but I know some people are in jail. Some people are dead. Some people are, uh, spoilers, spoilers, there's, there's, on people, there's uh, tiger trading, there's private zoos, there's people getting their arms bitten off. Like what the hell? There's people using drugs and uh, just killing each other over, uh, tigers and wild animals. And it's just a bunch of weird meth headed people <laughs> in the South doing weird stuff. <laughs> it's America. Yeah. You can do whatever you want. And the show is proven like people are out there doing whatever the hell they want. And it's it's wild. I don't know where it's gonna go, but it's just it's just stupid, crazy stuff. So definitely check that out. And damn my other recommendation. Oh, I don't want I don't want to pull a, a who know you know you know what and forget what I was gonna recommend. But oh the pod- let me get the message out. It's it's a podcast that just came out today on IGN Unlocked. They're doing a whole episode with an interview with Phil Spencer for Microsoft. I'm working my way through it, but he's given a whole interview on lots and lots of questions and coverage on the Microsoft Xbox Series X. Going into more detail, it's a more open discussion. So he's he's pretty good about answering questions and telling you where, where they're at with production timelines. They're still on, on pace for things. So if you want to hear, if you like Phil Spencer episodes of any kind of podcast interviews, it's a good hour Plus, sit down and listen to him. Just like hit hit all the question points and try to answer stuff and 
dropped some more info on the Series X this year. So I like listening to him talk about stuff and, and give some more things in an open setting. So if you got time, listen to that podcast, IGN Unlocked. Well, I, I have a few, um, a little, you know, helping. I'll, I won't give you all my, my little nuggets. I'll give you a few of them out here. But one, one of them is a podcast that I actually started listening to after listening to another podcast. You'll get the theme. I listen to a lot of podcasts. So um, it's Reply All podcast. And the episode that I listened to was episode 102 called long distance now this podcast is um on gimlet and it is produced or hosted actually by pj Volt and alex goldman and they they do a take on technology and internet and you know just everything in between but they do some weird little experiments and they do these interesting episodes and episode 102 (laughs) is hilariously funny like i i honestly was listening to it and at first i was going to turn it off and i'm like okay this is dumb but if you sit through it and wait it becomes one of the most interesting stories i have ever heard on a podcast in my life and the the episode is about a a scam company called him and called Alex Goldman about uh, an issue with his iCloud service saying that it, it had gotten, you know, infected with some kind of virus. And if you go listen to this episode, I promise you, you won't be disappointed. Really, really funny episode at the end. He literally took weeks and weeks of calling these people back and forth trying to find out who they were where they were it is a great episode so it, it all these things will be in the show links by the way so replay i mean sorry reply all podcast episode 102 long distance so also i give you something to watch um for all my foodies out there of course um alton brown has his own youtube channel if you don't know who Alton Brown is, he he's most famous by um, if you've seen a show called Good Eats on either Food Network or Cooking Network, and it's been simulcast on different channels. He he is probably one of the first ones I watched as an actual cooking show that was about cooking because he does cooking as science and not just as a chef. He's more of a cookie. And you might remember him more from probably Iron Chef America because he was the host of that show for a period of time. Uh, but he has a, a, a cooking channel, uh, YouTube channel. Um, and lately his episodes have of course been about what we're dealing with now in um, the state we are with the coronavirus and everything. Um, and he's doing most of his episodes from a test kitchen or from home. So get, it'll be in the link. The links will be down below. Check, check that one out. Uh, it's a really good channel. Okay. Here is something to read. And this thing is something I just read myself and it's from Engadget, And it's actually, um, I'm sorry, this one is not from Engage. This one came from CNN Business, actually. And it basically is a, is a, um, a story about how Lisa Su, who is the CEO of AMD, turned the company around from basically from being uh, almost bankrupt to being probably the best, you know, technology company around right now. Yes, they're neck and neck with some of them with Intel and many of we know this, but they went from literally going out of business to becoming top two or three in tech in a course of about six, seven years. And it is a read, but I'll, I'll give you the YouTube link to the actual uh, CNN business cut of it. It came from their, their site and is a small little excerpt. It's only like probably like four minutes long, but it's like, it t- she tells like what they had to do to turn it around and what they what the plan was of how to get back to a profitable point and it was very interesting thinking like nowadays with how much AMD is in everything that they were about to be gone at one point so those are my couple of uh, quick you know reads and watches and listens so we'll we'll leave that those down in the, the links below will you know hopefully there'll be something that you can go and look at and watch or listen to, you know, something to get your mind off of it, play a couple of games, watch a little bit, 
you know, we all are kind of stuck on the inside right now. So you get, might as well take your time out to expand your, your knowledge. Just try to stay sane in this insane time we're in right now. <laughs> and don't forget to get your free. And I said free 99 free subscription to premium membership. They're probably still accepting applications. <laughs> Make sure you go get it. Go go get it, cause they, they it, while supplies last, it's gonna it's, it's gonna be out of here sooner or later, bro. Once the world goes back to normal, they are gonna start charging you seventeen ninety nine. Turn off that auto renew. Don't pay. forget. Oh yeah, make sure you check that, cause you, you can't explain it to wifey. Wifey be like, "What's this?" Um, well, what had happened was, damn. <laughs> That's all I say. So we'll leave it there. <laughs> we'll leave it there. Hope y'all have a good one. Come back. Check us out again out. on another episode.